Good afternoon, I'm Ed Pozzuoli, CEO of Trip Scott, and today we're joined by the CEO of Port Everglades, Jonathan yes. Daniels. Jonathan, welcome. Great, great to be here with you this afternoon, Ed. Well, Jonathan, before we get started in some of the details of what's going on at the port now, talk a little bit about so our viewers understand the economic engine, the public asset that is the Port Everglades. Talk us about the impact of Port Everglades on our community. Sure, and, and certainly most of what you see is, is probably the, you know, the most predominant uh, aspect of, of what you see day in and day out. That's the cruise operation. And it certainly is huge, considering there's 84,000 people in Broward County that work in tourism and, and hospitality. We're an extension of that pre-post-cruise and what we're looking at with, with development of the cruise. It's truly going to have a large impact, uh, not only into, into the, the community, but South Florida as a, as a whole. We're the third largest cruise port in the world when you consider home port. So we are truly on a global scale. What people, I think, don't see are the aspects in the, in the public importance of our energy aspects and our container aspects. 80% of what comes into the port is actually consumed in South Florida. We are a consumption zone port. So as you see the economy grow, the port's going to grow. It's a natural hinterland that we have. But also let's point to energy. Uh, and I think the importance of the port was really never felt uh, so much as when the colonial pipeline disaster occurred, this, the, the hack that occurred this past summer. And taking a look at that, and we were insulated from that because of the, the fuels that come in, the jet fuel for the airports, uh, what you fill up with at the, at the service stations. All of that comes through Port Everglades. I don't right. think a lot of people understand that. So when the panic was occurring throughout the state, everybody else down in South Florida was saying, hold on, you need to remain calm because of Port Everglades and because of the public importance. And certainly I think we're going to see expansion that's going to occur within, specifically within that sector based on the need to maintain resiliency for the citizens of South Florida. Right, And but you came in as port director for Port Everglades during the pandemic. I mean, that had to be just an unbelievable challenge. What, what did you experience during that time? It was, and a lot of people ask me, do you really want to take over the third largest <laughs> cruise port cruise in, port. in, in, I in mean, the world? Right. And they didn't. We didn't just see a slowdown in the economy or in the industry. We saw a complete shutdown. But what I saw in Port Everglades, what I saw in Broward County and South Florida, was was an ability to rebound better than really any place in the United States. Uh, I saw the port truly as an asset. And while we took a, a hard hit, ninety-two million dollars lost in revenue during that period of time. More than fifty percent of our activities are actually energy and cargo related. So while crews shut down everything else was, was maintained. We were essential workers. The economy had to continue to move, and ultimately, because of that, uh, it, it, it was a position I just couldn't pass up. It's an area I wanted to move into, and that's a position that I've actually looked at for, for a lot of years, took the opportunity, and, and I think certainly it's gonna pay off for me uh, personally being down in South Florida. Well, I hope we've met your expectations when you move down here. Uh, to every, everybody, even during the most difficult time, has been absolutely wonderful, welcoming into the community and providing the resources that we need to be able to grow. So talking about, you know, not just South Florida, but now you're the, you've been, you know, elected to the Florida uh, Ports Council. Yes. And as it's, I mean, Tell, talk about how that is being chair of the Florida Ports Council. What, what responsibilities do you have? You know, certainly, first and foremost, I'm, I'm paid by Broward County. I'm paid to make sure that we enhance everything that goes on at Port Everglades. And Port Everglades, right. It is. But ultimately, as the chairman of the Florida Ports Council, you have 15 ports that you have some influence on and some responsibility to be able to represent. We have an absolutely fantastic group of port directors that are my colleagues and in many respects, my friend. So this past week, as I, as I was up during a press conference with Governor DeSantis, 
We had my counterparts from Jacksport, from Tampa, from Panama City, and we're all extolling the virtues of Florida sports as a system. But it's talking about how we can, as a system, uh, try to alleviate some of the, ba the backlogs that are occurring uh, on a national scale. So the national scale, obviously we've, we've read and heard a lot about the supply chain impacts that COVID has had and the rest of this. And we see, you know, what, how many ships are out there waiting in the, in the ports in California. Yeah. How can we, as a set of Florida ports, Port Everglades specifically, but the Florida ports generally, how can we take advantage or competitive advantage of that opportunity for our ports here? Again, what, what we're looking at are, are competitors that now become collaborators. We have 15 Florida ports, right. eight that are able to accommodate to containers. Primarily the backlog out on the West Coast is, is container-based. So what these shippers and carriers are going to have to do is, is evaluate the cost associated with coming through the Panama Canal and coming into another port system. You know, certainly, I'd love to see it come into, into Port Everglades, but first and foremost, and I had this conversation with the governor and, and the secretary of FDOT the other day, let's first get it into Florida, and then at that point, let's divvy it up. If we don't have enough capacity at one port, they can move to it, they can move to another port. Short term, we are talking about, and we use a little bit tongue-in-cheek, let's not let this backlog become the Grinch that stole Christmas. Because this is L a- Literally. Literally, because right. this is- the, you have new buying power that's now being unleashed after the pandemic, and it couldn't happen at a worse time with a lot of the Asian goods coming in to supply the distribution centers and the shelves just in time for the holiday season. So something is going to have to give. What gives Florida ports the competitive advantage then? You know, I think the, the low cost, uh, the low cost activities, the flexibility of the 24 seven uh, operations that, that occur. And again, if you can't handle it in Miami, you come 26 miles up the coast and you handle it at Port Everglades. If you can't handle it here, you move up into, into Palm Beach, Port Canaveral, Tampa, and, and Jacksport. And actually, Jacksport announced last week that they are helping out with some of the congestion, though it's on the east coast of the U.S., as there will be a service uh, that will be coming out of northern Europe that instead of calling another uh, U.S. port and a close competitor of them, uh, they're coming into Jacksport for at least 120 days. And we know the operations that are efficient in the state of Florida. Once they get it, it's going to be tough for it to leave Florida. And it's going to be so tough we can for it get to the back. containers offloaded and onto trucks and out the door. We, we can, especially for land bridge operations. A lot of what comes through Southern California gets put on rail, gets put on the road, and comes to the East Coast just because right. it's the closest uh, to Asia. Instead of that, come through the Suez, come through the Panama Canal, come directly to the East Coast, come to the state of Florida. Well, let's focus back now on Port Everglades. The mix between uh, cruise lines and cargo is kind of a very interesting mix. Talk a little bit about that and why that protects our, 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 our community. You know, it, it does. You know, a lot of what we do and a lot of what the labor goes into is it would, be, would be helping the passengers and helping to provision the, the cruise ships. Again, that completely went away. But we were insulated in many respects. The energy, other than the jet fuel, of course, because we saw a reduction in the right. amount of, of, of airplanes. But even that being said, the amount of cargo activity that goes out of Miami International Airport, we still had to feed through our pipelines to get to get down there. Uh, the container market, again, you had to make sure that you got everything on the on the shelves. Again, everybody kind of smiles because of the we ran out of toilet paper. Right. But, you know, it, that's that's a serious aspect of it because if it's toilet paper, it's tissue paper. It's also medical goods. It's also perishables. 28% of what we handle uh, into and out of the port actually is Latin American trade, north-south trade, our leading trading partners. So as, as their economies dropped a little bit, it certainly impacted the port. We took advantage of that by seeing production come in from some other areas. 
but we are we are linked uh, in so many ways with it. And so as you look at the potential for nearshoring activities, as now I think you look at the administration looking at maybe taking and not having so much of a reliance on Asian trade, and some of that production comes into Central and South America, we stand ready to be able to take advantage of that, of that uptick. In order to be able to handle that, you're looking at the largest single infrastructure project ever undertaken by the port, $471 million. It's adding new gantry cranes, it's adding new berth capacity. Five new berths will come online in mid-2023. We just ordered three additional gantry cranes, which will come in as soon as the terminals are done. So the port is not only poised to be able to help with the congestion issues now, we're set to be able to move into the future and really become a, a, a player and an economic driver in South Florida. So talking about the future, and since Port Everglades does have a substantial uh, reliance on cruise, mm -hmm. uh, how is the cruise industry and how is it rebounding from the pandemic? I tell you, cru cruise is back, and, and you looked at it. We stepped up and helped it during the restart. Uh, we waived some of our fees in order to keep the cost down with the, with the cruise lines, and that's, and that's paying dividends. Uh, Royal Caribbean and the, underneath them, their flag celebrity, they're back, they're up and going. The port was the first port in the United States with a revenue cruise, June 26th, with Celebrity Edge. Celebrity's already talking about an enhanced program. Princess, the same thing. Princess and Holland America and the Holland America Group under the Carnival Corporation flag, they're looking at an expanded program as, as well. On top of that, we just had the first sailing for Viking Cruise Lines. Viking has been uh, primarily out of uh, out of Miami. Right. Uh, they are now uh, they've moved their cruise operations. Absolutely an incredible, incredible program. So we're going to stay tuned to that. You you are, and, it's a, and we're going to have a couple of, of cargo uh, announcements as well. So I think the future is uh, is extremely bright uh, at the port to be able not only to meet the demands of South Florida, but to be able to grow as the economy in South Florida. So we survived well. fine through the pandemic. Well, because of our mix? We, we, we did. We did? We did. And, and the future is bright because we're not only are we growing now, the cruise industry, we're adding potentially another cruise line. Yes. And we're looking at the opportunities that may present itself because of some of the backlog on the cargo side. Absolutely. And then on top of that, the assistance that we received by Governor DeSantis as part of the ARPA funding, $58 million to help make up for some of the dollars that we lost uh, during the pandemic. So the administration has been so strong. Uh, in working for us and working with us to make sure that we are set to be able to handle uh, Florida's economy moving forward. Well, we definitely appreciate the work that you do. Yeah, great. Jonathan, thank you. thank you so much. Appreciate yeah, great, you. Great to be here with you. Thank you.